two wizards. Two wizards? Two wizards. Two wizards. I always enjoy uh, our time together. I always enjoy sitting down and recording, but but I suppose we do have to start this episode on a bit of a more somber note um, because we've had a couple, maybe perhaps, yeah, we can bestow them the title of True Wizards. Um, mm-hmm. We have had a couple of True Wizards depart this material realm um, and head towards that great astral plane in the Mirrorverse. So, and also like truly two, two performers that are near and dear to both of us. So yeah, we just got to give our due respects, I think. Yeah, I think so. Instead of starting off silly with some cold, some silly cold open or something dumb, we can say, yeah, number one, um, most recently when this episode drops, we will have just lost uh, Johnny Hardwick. He was the voice mm-hmm. of Dale Gribble. That one hit me and Johnny super hard. We recorded well, that, yeah, because... um, that morning mm-hmm. and he hadn't seen it yet. Well, yeah, but in like all of High Hammock Studio, um, yeah, like yeah. mourns Johnny Hardwick because because yeah, yeah, that one sucked. And then yeah, the bigger sucks. one for me was uh, Pee Wee Herman. That dude was yeah, well, Paul, Paul, Paul Rubens, Rubens, I guess not Pee Wee Herman. Pee Wee, but Rubens also was his yes. character. But that's how I knew Paul Rubens was as Pee Wee. Yeah, but also yes. Well, and and, and even before even before we uh, actually hit record, we were we were sharing stories about yeah, watching uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse, getting getting. Kind of freaked out by the movie, uh, but also <laughs> like I don't remember anything. Do you remember your name? No. You remember the year? No. But I remember the Alamo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Oh, so good. But yes. Um, but yes. Absolutely giving our, our respects and yeah, man. That's just again. That is part of that is part of not only just life in general, but also. Being being wizards, um, enjoying the magic that others create and getting to share an experience in that, and then also you know giving the giving the old uh, tip of the cowboy Curtis hat uh, <laughs> when it's when it's time to mosey on. Um, so, <laughs> but still be silly and goofy because we can't get too serious here with the Two Wizards podcast. We are we're still keeping it light. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, well, and I guess uh, with that somber acknowledgement out of the way, uh, I guess it is also time to welcome you, dear listeners, to this newest episode of the Two Wizards podcast. Welcome. Always a pleasure to have you join us. My name is Josh, and I am a wizard. And my name is Mark, and I often use humor as a deflection method, according to my uh, therapist. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> see yeah there it is man so there it'll it never get too serious and somber around these parts <laughs> yeah never yeah never um well and i i think also with our topic you know like many of the things that we talk about sometimes we get into the more kind of uh uh heavier stuff uh sometimes we get in, into the lighter things and i think this episode is gonna is gonna have that in in equal measure e- e- equal parts um right. but uh before we get there uh, Mark, what is in your wizard's mug? 
Um, you said I could just go crazy tonight, and mm-hmm. so I was going to try and like draw a parallel with our topic, and I thought, a dry martini. Mixed myself a dry martini, took Ooh. one sip of that, and said, no, that is the worst thing I've ever put in my body. So you <laughs> said, you would, just as I had decided I wasn't going to do that, you texted me and said, can we go at quarter, or half past? I thought, hell yeah, buddy. So mm. I ran to City Market and got some tonic water and a lime, and I'm drinking a gin and tonic. There we go. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's it. well, because when was it? When was it that we had martinis uh, a couple years back for whatever episode it was? Oh, God, um, I don't even remember. Yeah, it's been a... Or, a at, or at least I had a martini because classic Josh talked about just dumping the entire <laughs> jar of olives um, and then a little bit of gin and a little vermouth. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, man. <laughs> That's that's great. I'm happy. I'm happy that, given the bit of a delay on my end, you were you were you were, you were able to rectify the situation. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and also I guess sort of a nod to our episode here. Um, you, you know, uh, listeners will have seen the title, um, but I guess I'm still kind of playing it up because that's one of our <laughs> little bits. Um, you, you know what we're talking about tonight? It's very important to to stay hydrated. Um, make sure that you have. Have enough fluids in your body. Um, and also, you know, what we're talking about often features a lot of livestock and husbandry and grazing. So it's only appropriate between hydration and uh, ranching that I'm having ranch water. <laughs> I really hope you're going to twist it and be like, between ranching and hydration and I'm having a margarita. Yeah, I'm, I'm, having, I'm having a dry martini. <laughs> uh but no sticking sticking with the classics here good old ranch water uh, out of lone river brewing company so here's on you buddy cheers good buddy actually now that i think about it now that i think about it it's it's been quite a while since i've had uh gin and tonic myself shoot get back on that pony good buddy i guess i guess i'm gonna have to man like i know we haven't you know it's also been a while since we've done any sort of extended uh, themed drinks here, but shoot, maybe oh, I'll Oh, yeah. Wasn't 2023 supposed to be the year of all PBR? It was, I, I think we floated that idea at some point, uh, but then we did, I don't know, some other episode and we got super horned up to do Bloody Marys or something. I forget what it was. I think it was supposed to be the year of like, Let's not waste too much mental energy on coming up with cute drinks for our, uh, <laughs> for our for our containers, whatever we're calling them at that point. But also, we just like to get silly and be dorks. So, so yeah, that's all. That's uh, no skin off my back. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I miss but, the silly days. I'll be honest. I kind of miss. God, yeah, what man. was it? Uh, Grimace juice. Because I oh screwed God. up the whatever the hell that was and. Threw the grenadine in with it too and made it purple, but God, grimace juice well, was and you, good. And, and you even predated the grimace shake that was super popular, like ironically for two weeks, and then everybody forgot about. So look at us, man! Again, speaking things into existence. Uh, Boy, but... sure was crazy how you and I won the lottery, huh? <laughs> God, what did Josh and Mark decide to do with all that money? They yeah, bought their all podcast. That money, you know, I just man, we can. Well, screw like buying a decommissioned missile silo. We'll build our own damn missile silo. <laughs> <laughs> buy a missile for it. Yeah, then buy a missile for it. Because why not? 
Um, but uh, but yes. So so with that all said, with that all established now, um, uh, tonight's episode, I am once again uh, uh, taking lead here, taking point, um, leading this caravan through uh, hostile territory. That's that's just so harsh and and uh, challenging and rugged and maybe maybe partially de- deceived by phantom visions or mirages of oases where the PBR flows like water because <laughs> that's what happens in an oasis <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I am returning I am re- re- returning to this uh, semi-regular series of uh, uh, geological geographical features um as a follow-up to our, I think, our wildly su- successful mountains episodes. Um, Mark, we're going to talk about deserts. Woo! Deserts. Deserts, man. Because, and, and yeah, like I mentioned in mountains, I have this sort of grand vision in my mind about talking about different uh, geological or geographical uh, uh, kind of climates or features or, or um, whatever you want to call it. And I know we also like hinted volcanoes pretty heavily uh, back in mountains, but but you know, we want to mix it up. We don't want to go back to that same kind of well too often. So we're we're, we're going to switch to deserts. Uh... Well, <laughs> you know, get... I'm I'm bookended by mountains, and what do I live in? That's right, it, what, the that's, desert. Yeah, yeah, and that's precisely it. You know, like it, it also kind of occurred to me like two thirds of the way through uh, making my notes here, like. Josh, you son of a bitch hack. You hacky, no good, you know, episode one in this semi-regular series. Oh, mountains, because I live in mountains. And then episode two, oh, deserts, because I lived in a desert. It's like, get better material. (laughs) Get out of your comfort zone. Uh, But yes, I also cannot deny that part of this episode was inspired uh, by by my growing up not only... um, in the San Luis Valley in, Al- in Alamosa, Colorado, which is a cold alpine desert. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my earliest childhood, I grew up in Southern California, uh, just south of Joshua Tree National Park. Um, in like, like legit, like not quite Death Valley, but like legit Californian desert. Um, uh, so, so yeah, I mean, that's also, that's also something that's like kind of near and dear to me kind of helped shape my psyche growing up. Uh, just made me super thirsty. I just drink water constantly. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good thing, though. That's yeah, a, which that's is a, a solid, mm-hmm. solid lifestyle choice, yeah. Yeah, I'm not I'm, I'm not going uh, so far as to say that I am the Kwisatz Haderach. Um, I am no <laughs> Paul Muadib Atreides. Uh <laughs> Uh, but I may have ridden a sandworm or two in my youth. <laughs> just that one time on spring break in Mexico. and There's one time spring you know. break. I thought it was just in the tequila bottle. Find out. Come to find out. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but but yes. Well, And also, again, as I, as I was doing this too, right? Like uh, Dune Part 2, that drops later this year. Um, deserts, man. They're everywhere. And they're super important. And they're... You know, there, there, there's lots of cultural resonances with them. So that's what we're going to do. Um, going to sort of talk about deserts. What are they? 
how are they? Why are they? Um, talk about some of the largest ones, uh, some of the driest ones, desert desert planets like Arrakis, um, and just all sorts of all sorts of stuff like that. Um, so I guess with that being said, we'll just hop right in. Uh, Let's do her. Mark, have you ever lit? No, okay. Again, I'm like, what's my dumb, <laughs> what's my dumb icebreaker question? Mark, what is your experience growing up, or like your experience with deserts? Like, yes, you've been in uh, the San Luis Valley for for a few years now, for for some years now. Mm-hmm. Did you ever like, I don't know, do you like a family trip to? Some other... Did you ever go to the Sahara, Mark? <laughs> Twice, actually. The first time I was grave robbing. The second time. No. Um, It's weird. I know shockingly little about deserts, despite living in one for 15 years and being a... I'll call it myself, a, geo, a fluvial geomorphologist. Right. Um, but I never did anything with deserts. There wasn't a desert you know, geography class when I was going. I did take uh, sedimentary stratification, which is the worst... Mm. class known to man it's how sedimentary (laughs) rocks form and do things and oh god that was yeah (laughs) let me tell you about sandstone buddy but no by and large i know very little um i've been out Mm -hmm. in the new mexican badlands um Mm. i've been up in the wyoming badlands in those weird like it's not really deserty but it's right before the prairie kind of starts to back into the mountains and there's that long stretch of hard pan with the um the hoodoos out in it and that's pretty cool but yeah, i don't yeah. really mess with deserts yeah yeah well yeah and, and there are there are kind of varying levels of like arid or semi-arid uh regions that maybe they qualify as deserts maybe not but, so, but yeah and, and again sort of much like mountains well with deserts th- there are a little stricter more hard and fast rules about what strictly speaking qualifies as a desert and what isn't um versus like mountains and that little cute one in Australia that you could literally throw a stone over. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the word itself, I'm also an etymology wizard. Let's just start off with that. So, Mark, the word desert, our English word desert, comes from the Latin desertum, um, which means an abandoned place. It doesn't necessarily okay. mean like sandy, doesn't even mean like hot, but just like any sort of abandoned place. So like when you desert the army, you abandon the army or like a desert island. It's not necessarily like a sandy island, uh, but it's just abandoned. Uh, or or also by comparison, uh, sparsely populated. Uh, so just, it's just any place where there's not a lot of people, not a lot of life. Um, and again, because I've been studying and teaching myself and learning ancient Greek uh, for, yeah, like five, six years now, still blows my mind that I make these discoveries. Mark, do you have any guesses what the Greek word for desert is? Oh, I was going to make a baklava joke, but that's dessert. <laughs> so no, I don't. They can't, those, those can be a little dry, to be fair. Um, you don't do but, it right, yeah. But yeah, the Greek word for desert is eremos. Oh, uh, okay. All right. Yeah, and, that, okay. And someone who lives in the desert is an eremites. Does that sound like a different English word? An, an, an eremites? Just a little bit, yeah. You know, kind of, kind of sounds like the word hermit. 
yeah, and that's a, exactly it. Bit. That's exactly where we get the word hermit from. Which again, like consulting, uh, yeah, like a Greek lexicon and like making that connection. Like son of a bitch. Like <laughs> for yeah, like twenty five years of my life, I was a hermit because I lived in the San Luis Valley. Mark, right now, you are a you are a hermit because you're living in the desert. When they wow. talk about uh, crazy old Ben Kenobi, that hermit on Tatooine, <laughs> he that yes. That's him. He, he's a dude who lives in the desert. Uh, <laughs> which, yeah, man, again, just like I'm, I'm sure, you know, half of our audience has stopped this episode like this moron. Like, look at him freaking out about the word hermit. But guys, that's just how my brain works. Um, OK, so anyway, now that we know what a desert is, the, the, the this is the defining line between if it's a desert versus like a semi-arid region. Uh, if a location gets less than 10 inches of rain or precipitation uh, each year, that is a desert. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like Alamosa. It hasn't rained here in a month. Yeah, right. Well, and, 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 and I know that you're... Because, yeah, it's typically like late August is the quote-unquote monsoon season where, mm-hmm. yeah, the sky, the sky just opens up and, you know, we'll get maybe like four inches of rain. Um, and that's and that's it too, right? Like it's not like there's never any precipitation or rain or snow of any kind. It's just, yeah, very very little. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, if if you had to, okay, so if that's a desert, is fewer than ten inches of, of rain. Um, semi desert or semi arid regions get between uh, ten inches and twenty in- inches of precipitation. Um, would you have any guesses as to what the average is by comparison? So, like, what the average amount of yearly precipitation is for this planet Earth? No, oh, average across the planet, I don't know. Let's say 24 inches. Okay. It's it's about 40. Holy shit. Yeah. A, yeah, like, average rainfall on the planet Earth is about a meter, which is, yeah, like, 39 inches. So... A desert wow. gets gets a right, which again stuff that blows my mind. Living in Southern California, living in Southern Colorado, where yeah, rain is super scarce. Because I was thinking the same thing, like okay, you know, maybe yeah, like twenty four. That seems about right. No, like if a region gets a quarter of average precipitation, that's what a desert is. Blows my fucking mind. That is uh, crazy. <laughs> I know, man. It's crazy. So. Yes, we're talking about very dry regions. Um, and yet, life uh, finds a way. So yes, there, 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 there are much fewer uh, uh, organisms, both plant life and animal life, um, that, that live in deserts. I mean, we can take it as a given that there's going to be fungi there, because fungi is everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um but yes, and, and so it's not like there's zero life. It's not completely abandoned. But these these uh, organisms, these creatures, have had to make some pretty substantial adaptations to, to that harsh uh, environment. Deserts make up about a third of the land surface of Earth. So wow. all of the land on Earth, one third of it could be classified as a desert, um, which is about... Uh, 10% of the entire surface area. 
you know, because like the planet Earth is like 70% covered with water. Right. Um, so, so yeah. So again, like this is, this is like a pretty, yeah, pretty large amount. Uh, I, I, I would think. Uh, but, uh, but, but they also come in two varieties. There are, of course, what probably immediately springs to your mind, what springs to our listeners' mind is the hot deserts. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are also such places that are cold deserts where, again, going off of that criterion of, uh, fewer than 10 inches of precipitation each year there are places that are very hot that don't get that much and then there are places that are very cold that don't get that much uh and what distinguishes a hot from a cold is 18 degrees celsius or 64 degrees fahrenheit if that's the average temperature if it's above that it's a hot desert if it's below that it's a cold desert okay okay so yeah and we will talk about both types and maybe even a secret mystery third type, um, presuming we have enough time. Uh, so what causes deserts? What makes deserts happen? Well, a number of uh, number of factors come into play. And this is also a little bit different because with mountains and orogeny, well, yeah, that's very clearly geological forces, you know, and I listed those. Um but also with deserts, here's where like the weather patterns come into effect. Um, yes, there are some geological features that create deserts or can, uh, but, but also a lot of it is, is just the weather and patterns and stuff. Um, and one of the big ones is something called an anticyclone, which to know what an anticyclone is, you have to know what a cyclone is. <laughs> Josh, um, what's a cyclone? Josh, what's a cyclone? Well, Mark, did you know that comes from a Greek word? Yep. Um, hey, so kids, a... anytime Josh says the magic word yeah. Greek, scream real loud. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Not, yeah, I won't be the only horse one by the end of this episode. Everyone will have lost their voices for all the times that I get to Oh, this, I like but... to hope they would scream real loud. That'd be great. That would be sweet. That'd be super cool. Um, okay, so a cyclone is a weather event where there is a large concentration of low atmospheric pressure. So this is warmer and wetter air. And then, and they spin a certain direction depending on the hemisphere. And they cause rainstorms and hurricanes and stuff like that. Okay, so, so an anticyclone then is a concentration of high pressure air, which is drier and colder... Uh, and and is denser, and so it, it pushes it pushes all the other air out of the way. And nine times out of ten, uh, if there's a little bit of land and there's a, a regular anticyclone in the area, uh, there's going to be a desert there. And I'll get into some some examples. So yeah, just like if there's if there's this anticyclone pushes all the moisture out of the way, boom, that's a desert. Um. There's also this thing called a rain shadow. Uh, does that sound familiar, Mark? Like you kind of alluded to this uh, when you're talking about uh, the location of the San Luis Valley. But do you have any other ideas about what a rain shadow is? Um, yeah, weather system moves in. It gets kind of stuck behind mountains and then mm-hmm. rolls over the top of them. And then before it hits this, another round of mountains, it kind of dissipates around them, right? Yeah, exactly. Because it kind of wants, like, it wants to take the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah, so then yeah. you get literally Alamosa, the the dead yeah. ass barren middle of the valley, and it you it's amazing. You always see the snow clouds and the rain mm-hmm. clouds coming over, and there's always blue sunny sky right over the top. Yeah, it, and that and that's pre- precisely it. So here's where mountains also come in, and a lot of times can help create deserts. So whatever the prevailing wind, uh, whatever direction the wind mostly blows from. Uh, if it runs into a mountain, well, yeah, it's it's just it's going to get stopped there, and whatever moisture it has, that's where it's going to precipitate. So it's going to rain, it's going to snow, whatever. When the air then crests the mountain, when it moves over the summit, well, it dumped all of its moisture on the other side, and so then the place on the other, and so that's where you get these very interesting things where, um, yeah, on the on the leeward side, on the side where the prevailing wind is, you see these lush forest and jungles and then on the other side of the mountains it's just a desert and it makes no goddamn sense except it makes perfect sense (laughs) um and so yeah but between anti-cyclones between rain shadows uh over time whenever moisture does land there uh it either evaporates it just you know gets hot and evaporates turns turns to steam and then rejoins the water cycle um or it gets transported from plant life. Uh, so any sort of like underground water, like aquifers and stuff, the plants mm-hmm. will send will send their roots down. That's where they get their water, bring it up uh, to the trunk, to the leaves, and then even it evaporates from there. So like just any water just gets either evaporated or transported from, from the plants. Um, and as a result, uh, yes, you get desertification where... Uh, there's there's much there's the temperatures start to swing because water is a great uh, uh, heat absorber and it really mellows out temperature changes when there's not any water then you get really really hot days and really really cold nights and that causes the rocks to break up and to turn into sand um, deserts tend to also have a higher albedo which is their reflect reflection their reflectivity Mm-hmm. Um, which is really which is kind of funny too because like yeah then during the day you're getting the hot sun above you and then that's just getting like bounced back off of the desert floor so it so it's, it's super super hot um, but actually deserts could help us combat climate change because they reflect all that extra solar energy so you got to kind of get hotter before you can get cooler, I suppose, in a way. I mean, it's not the... Yeah, it's that not makes the, sense. Yeah, it's not ideal. We don't want to turn into a desert planet. We don't want to become a Venus or something, but uh, at least every little bit helps, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, um, okay, so yeah, so those are deserts writ large how they're formed, what defines a desert, um, and all that. Okay, so Mark, if I told you that 10 inches or fewer uh, makes a desert, would you have any guesses about how much rainfall lands on the driest desert in the world, on on planet Earth? Um, I'm going to assume it's the Atacama Desert up in Chile, because we talked about it quite a bit, and there's that one town that got no rain at all, uh, Kalama. So I'm going to guess yes. somewhere up in there. You are 100% right that it is Woo. the Atacama Desert. 
Um, an average rainfall is half an inch per year. Fuck. Uh, what do you do with, like, yeah, what do exactly. you do with that, you know? What do you do with that? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing at all. Yeah. It's half an inch. Nothing at all. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, so half an inch of, of rain. And this is, again, this is like sort of that perfect storm. Uh, almost literally. Um, there are the uh, Andes Mountains to the east. Uh, so like it, it, it's, in, it's in a rain shadow. Uh, and then off the west, off the Chilean coast, there's also the Chilean coast mountain range. So it's also in a valley. So like double rain shadow. Double rain shadow all the way across my valley. <laughs> oh God, there's no moisture here. Um, and then in the Pacific Ocean, there is a Humboldt current. Or, or should I say mm-hmm. the Humboldt current? So that kind of creates a certain weather pattern. And there's an anticyclone um, off there, which, yeah, so you're double whammied or triple whammied, I guess, or quadrupled. I don't know. You just get half an inch of rain each year. Um, and some regions only get a sixteenth of an inch. Uh, what? Or, yeah, or even none at all. Or even none at all. Well, like you said, there, there are some re- regions where there has not been any recorded precipitation since we started taking measurements. Um, so yeah, it's just it's just stupid. It's just stupid there. And yet, I, I, I guess I already spoiled this joke, but I'm going to do it again. Uh, and yet, life uh, finds a way. And yes, there is the Andean flamingo that lives in and around the Atacama Desert. There is the Atacama toad. Uh, there's Fabian's lizard. So there's like species that that you won't find anywhere else in the world that that live in that region um, and are amazing and incredible. Um, and there's also human presence we have we have we have evidence of uh uh human population living in and around the atacama going all the way back to 7000 bce sure the Lord. yeah the chinchorro culture uh resided there up until about uh 1500 bce so that's you know a solid five and a half millennia um mm-hmm. and they were expert fishers uh weavers tattoo artists uh and probably not a surprise to anyone uh used mummification in their <laughs> in their funeral rites <laughs> they did because they, they were just lazy as shit and the desert just <laughs> did it for them and they're like hey dude what happened to grandma i don't know but she looks real good just keep it up boys <laughs> Uh, so yeah, again, like even, and this is well before, this is well before things like irrigation or, you know, whatever, like there were, yeah, these people were, were, were finding a way to live in these harshest of conditions, um, which is just, again, just amazing. Well, what's Tadena, uh, man? It's amazing. Uh, Chinchoro culture Tadena. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, okay, well, so that is the driest. That is the driest desert that we have record of, at least on planet Earth. Uh, and so I guess, you know, kind of like what I did with my seven summits, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just kind of go through here and talk about uh, the largest deserts 
in the world here. So coming in at number one, Mark, any guesses what the largest desert on our planet is? Spoiler, we've also talked about this in a previous Two Wizards episode. Oh, no. Um out of 150 however many episodes. Yeah. Um, I was going to say Mojave, but that doesn't sound right. Gobi? I'll I'll give you another hint. Uh it is it is not a hot desert. It is in fact Oh, Antarctica. It, it is Antarctica. Uh yes, the Ooh. Antarctic desert um has a uh, area of uh 14.2 million square kilometers. Or about 5.5 square miles in freedom units. Uh, Which so, and so, yeah, and so this is what I was saying too. Like, yes, there are hot deserts, there are cold deserts. There's also maybe, maybe this is a specific one because it's a polar desert, which also means that it's just cold. Um, Mm -hmm. And yes, uh, Antarctica receives on average uh, eight inches of precipitation each year. So, Easily under that 10-inch kind of mark there. Um, But also specifically, uh, the McMurdo Dry Valleys, west of McMurdo Sound, maybe those could be considered more proper deserts. Uh, It's not just a giant ice sheet. There's actual, like, rocks and stuff. Um, And the McMurdo Dry dry Valleys are probably the closest analogy um, to the environments that you would see on Mars. Super cold, super dry, um, and so researchers, okay. as we're as we're kind of flirting with this idea about sending humans to Mars, there, there's a lot of activity there to sort of replicate that environment for testing equipment and, and, and stuff like that. Um, uh, in fact, uh, a team of Canadian and American researchers um, had a had a test for using a specific kind of drill uh, to do like I guess kind of core sampling. Um, of the Martian soil. Uh, and so they headed over to University Valley, which is in the McMurdo Dry Valleys, uh, in 2013. When they were doing these field tests and they took a sample of the soil there, they found zero living organisms in the permafrost. Wow. And this apparently was the first time on Earth that humans visited a location and found no signs of life. God, that is like crazy. no, yeah, no, nothing at all. Yeah, no bacteria, no, no unicellular, nothing, nothing there. Uh, so yeah, who knows? Maybe it's even worse than Mars because maybe we'll find evidence of life on Mars uh, if we can trust <laughs> David Bowie. Uh, then we could say yes, there is there is life on Mars. And the answer is yes. We yes we can. Yes, yes we can. Um, <laughs> uh, also worth mentioning. Um, Dome Argus in East Antarctica, uh, is the highest ice feature. I, I, I don't know if I mentioned this. I don't think I mentioned this in my Antarctica episode, but then again, that was like a year and a half ago. Uh, so maybe I did. Um, uh, but anyway, Dome Argus, uh, comes in at 4,091 meters or 13,422 feet elevation. Uh, and it is one of the coldest and driest places on the planet. Uh, reaching temperatures as low as minus 90 degrees Celsius or minus 130 degrees Fahrenheit and receiving only a few centimeters of annual precipitation. 
So, yeah. I mean, I maybe tallest, driest desert. Maybe that's maybe that's the one. I don't know. Okay. We'll go with that. Yeah. But uh but yeah, very 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 dry, very very cold. And yeah, a bit of a curveball about like Oh yeah, of course it'd be the Antarctic desert. Um So that is the largest desert that we have on Earth. Wow. Any guesses about number two, the second largest desert? And I'll give you a hint. This is also a polar desert. (laughs) (laughs) Is it the North Pole? (laughs) It's the Arctic desert. Yes. (laughs) So the Arctic desert comes in at about 13.9 square kilometers or 5.9. Three six million square miles, and when I saw this in my research, I was like, "Bullshit! Come on! It's it's just like the Arctic Ocean." But apparently, if you kind of extend the Arctic Circle or like count what's in the Arctic Circle, which would include Alaska, Canada, Greenland, Iceland, Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Russia, I guess I guess we're counting that as a desert. Um, all of these. Strictly speaking, disparate land masses. But whatever, it's the Arctic Desert, because we don't want to make them feel left out. Uh, <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. But then again, to be fair, um, there, there, there are some places, like in southern Greenland, where they get more than average precipitation. Um, certain places in Greenland get uh, 47 inches of yearly precipitation. Uh, there are parts in the Canadian archipelago that also get about eight inches. Um, and, uh, there are parts in the Arctic basin. So this like specific area on the ocean that get as little as six inches of precipitation each year, which, which, yeah. So, I mean, is that cheating if a part of the ocean doesn't get much precipitation? Can we still call it a desert? Well, yeah, like water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. I don't. Uh, yeah, know. exactly. Sure, right, right, right. Like it doesn't yeah. rain salt water. It's not snowing on the ocean. Maybe it is. I don't know. Like yeah. in the, these areas, but like, mm-hmm. and no, if I our... would say a hundred percent that that would count as just because it's made of water doesn't mean. I mean, what's Antarctica? Snow is water. You know, like right. And and and, and that's also what I go back to. Like, well, if our only definition or if our primary definition is just precipitation then yeah it doesn't matter if it's falling on water um yeah then it still counts so so okay i you know hey i learned something new as a wizard i learned something new that yes even even oceans can be deserts uh that's cool so so yeah okay so number one number two maybe kind of threw some people for a loop um i think almost everybody when they hear the word desert this is probably the one that they picture mark what is the third largest desert on planet earth would it be the sahara it would it would be the sahara uh yes they're uh south of the mediterranean sea northern africa uh and yes this clocks in at about 9.2 uh million kilometer square or 3.5 million square miles uh and the word sahara comes from the Arabic Sahra, which means desert. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Uh, Much like in our first uh, 
geology series, uh, all of these, like, oh, what are the indigenous names for these different mountains? And like almost all of them were White Mountain. Like that's the thing. <laughs> a lot of these deserts are just like, oh yeah, that's whatever native language, that's their word for desert. That's what we call it. <laughs> uh, but also specifically, uh, so it's the Sahara meaning desert, but it comes from an adjective, Asharu, which means uh, kind of a yellowish red color like the sand. And so that's what it is. That's what it is. Um, <laughs> the Sahara makes up about 30% of the entire surface area of Africa. Uh, which is just because, stu- yeah, like Africa is like the bigger second... than everything. Yeah. Africa is huge. Like it's like Asia's the biggest continent. And then Africa is like, and it is huge. And 30% of that is just sandy desert. That's crazy. Jesus. Crazy. Um, average precipitation uh, across the Sahara is less than, uh, is, uh, uh, yeah, less than four inches per year. Uh, and more than half of that area is essentially precipitation free it just doesn't rain it's it's just dry um oh shit which again just kind of blows just blows my mind um and so yes the sahara is the first of the hot deserts that we're going to talk about and also specifically the subtropical uh variety you're going to hear this number a lot but um yeah the daily uh temperature highs uh get up around 38 to 40 degrees celsius which is about 100 to 104 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, yeah, so stupid dry, stupid hot. Uh, and yeah, it's been like that not forever. Coincidentally, the Sahara is like one of the more recent desertifications that we have on record here. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, was, it, it was more kind of like a savanna. Uh, so maybe like a semi-arid place, but still, you know, lots of wild grasses, still lots of, you know, like large animal life there too. Um, and yes, saw all sorts of, um, all, all sorts of inhabitation there. So yeah, it, it was a savanna up until about 3000 BCE. Um, and that's when, that's when things started to change all this Moisture was again either evaporated or transported out by plant life, um, and this is kind of interesting. First time I had heard about this. Um, there's a number of scholars who also claim that why this happened, why this accelerated, was the axis of our planet tilted. It shifted a bit, and mm. just and just whatever that time, because I'm sure it was something like a. You know, like 0.02 of a degree, like some just minuscule number, but apparently that axial tilt, um, that yeah, that, that that change in our axial tilt uh, helped speed up the process of making this enormous desert. <laughs> well, you know what else will screw up an axial tilt? What's that? When a hollow moon gets towed into a planet's <laughs> gravity. <laughs> Would you say 37,000 BCE? Uh, 3700 um yeah 34 34 yeah yeah that's uh <laughs> buddy that's right on time that would do it that would do it Some shady um, ass aliens showed up they desertificated the sahara they're like oh this looks too nice and 
Screwed up our access to boot. Dirty Stop. bastards. Dirty, dirty <laughs> bastards. Um, and, of course, too, uh, yes, very clear evidence of human uh, uh, inhabitation of this area. Yes, of course, there are the Egyptians. Uh, that, and we, we've kind of shouted them out the last few episodes, um, uh, like our, our ancient barbecue and um, mm-hmm. a couple other things. Uh, yes, by about 6,000 BCE, um, yeah, there were, there, there were people from Egypt um, that were, again, like herding cattle, having agriculture, um, creating larger buildings there. Um, there's the Nubian kingdom, uh, that was also, yeah, a Neolithic, um, uh, civilization that goes back to about 9,500, 9,500 BCE. Um, oh, shit. yeah, even further back, uh, and, and yeah, I, I guess third time in a row, this is, this is the first that I had heard of this civilization. Uh, there is the Kiffian culture. Amy, I, can, I, I say, can you help me move, move this large rock out from the desert? <laughs> I was way too excited to make that joke. It's all right. I, I will write entire episodes about one single pun. Yokai four was just so I can make my Captain Yokai punchline. So no worries, buddy. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but, but yeah, so the Kiffian culture was yeah again even further back, even like eight thousand uh, or, or yeah 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 like eight thousand BC, um, something like that. Um, yeah, just. Just crazy, crazy stuff. Crazy cool, um, and, and yeah, and so again, uh, and and why we know this, and sort of hinting at a thesis that I'll be coming to later, is yes, while the civilizations may have passed away or evaporated, to make a terrible pun, um, <clears throat> the conditions of the desert, yes, while they are very hostile to life. They are actually incredible for preserving objects. So mm-hmm. we have, yeah, we, we, we have, ev- we knew that they were hunters because we found their hunting equipment. And like what you were talking about with ancient barbecue, we found um, uh, animal remains that show signs like of like have of, yeah, like the like knife wound or, or, or you know, so we have that. Um, there's, there's petroglyphs um, that also kind of show like, well, Unless a giraffe has somehow like gained sapience and is using its horn to kind of like carve into this rock face here, probably a human did that. <laughs> or maybe we're in the year one million and a half and mankind has been enslaved by a giraffe. <laughs> That's right, listeners. Two Futurama jokes just talking about the Sahara Desert. Two. <laughs> <laughs> oh god oh man uh so yes I, and there's there's so much there's like could go on and on about the caravanasseries uh could also give a civ shout out to Mansa Musa uh who was a king mm-hmm. like ridiculously wealthy king and like helped establish and exploit this vast like trade network 
um, including crossing the Sahara. So, so yeah, man, it is, it is truly, it, it is, it is, it is, it is right that when people first imagine a desert that they should think of the Sahara. It's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. I also just keep thinking about, yeah, I love to play, uh, uh, Mansa Musa on a uh, sieve. Mm-hmm. Get that sweet, sweet song of the jelly. Yeah. Bark and, oh, baby, mm-hmm. you're just, you're done. That's it. And and also, I think, you know, one of the thousands of things that the Civ team gets right is when you boot up a game and you see that your starting location is next to a desert, you're like, ah, son of a bitch. Do I just re-roll this? I don't want, you know, okay, cool. I get like one production off of a desert hill and... Okay, I guess there's a flood plains there, so that's three food. You know, I can make this work. Maybe I can get Petra. Like, if I rush for Petra, maybe this can be half playable. And then that's just it. Like, a lot of things have to fall into place, uh, and it's really challenging and really difficult. But then, goddamn, can you just, like, run away with games? Uh, with, like, <laughs> goaded <laughs> desert starts. <laughs> Uh, well, okay. I, I guess also having just talked about the Sahara, um, bo- boy, am I thirsty. <laughs> Trekking across oh, yeah? these barren, dry landscapes. I could sure use something to to wet my whistle here. Um, so I have a spicy ranch water on deck. That's what I'm doing next. <laughs> and I'm sticking with my tight and true gin and tonic like a... Royal fancy boy out in the yeah, expeditionary that's... force. I don't know. I think well, they drink. No, that's India was gin and tonics, wasn't it? Because the, uh, it, it, the quinine yeah, it, would fight malaria. Exactly. It, it was. Yeah. And at the same time, you can be a desert sheik and have, you know, and like be born on a palaquin and, um, yeah, like, like lay down your, your, your beautiful, uh, uh, rugs under your tent yep. and yeah you drink a goddamn gin and tonic <laughs> <laughs> what is this stuff i don't know it's called gin but the shah loves it the shah loves it <laughs> more gin <laughs> you're and, the dance yeah and not oh, the kind God, just be a fucking corrupt desert chic yeah oh. oh man yeah like give me oh, that man, gin like... out of a bottle and not the kind that you rub and get three wishes, if you know what I'm saying. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay, all right. Well, that tears it. We're getting a time machine, and you're going to be it. my stand-up philosophizer. And yeah, that's it, man. We got I'm it. going to be the sheik, and that's going to be that. And, and that is going to be that. So, well, and also, uh, I guess sort of moving on, uh, number four, uh, we're making a pretty big jump here. Uh, this is another hot desert. Uh, uh, any guesses, Mark? Any idea about where we might be heading next for the fourth largest desert on the planet? Um, I got one of three, and it's either it's go, it's going to be the same three that I own, the only three that I know. Okay. It's either Atacama, Mojave, or Gobi. Okay, fair enough. Th- those are all good guesses. Not the case here. Ooh, or Simpson? Is it the Simpson in Australia? Oh, 
Yeah, ding, 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 ding. You got it. Fucking A. There it is. What's up? Sorry, I got way too excited. No, it's okay. Which was also... <laughs> Listeners, I did not know. Yeah, well, and also, <laughs> it also was our uh, Australia episode, right? Um, didn't we have one? Or did we just have an Antarctic one? And we talked about doing an Australian episode at some point in the future. We've talked about Australia a lot. We talked we about it with mountains. Um, yeah, and maybe that's what I'm thinking yeah. of, too. But, uh, but yes, so the Simpson Desert is a part of the Great Australian Desert. So, there, it, it, and I'll list all, all of these here in just a minute. Uh, but coming in at about 2.7 million square kilometers or just over 1 million square miles, uh, the Great Australian Desert uh, is comprised of, in decreasing size, the Great Victoria Desert, the Great Sandy Desert, the Tanami Desert, the Simpson Desert, the Gibson Desert, the Little Sandy Desert, the Streslecki Desert, and a couple others. Uh, <laughs> and, much like the case with Africa, the Great Australian Desert makes up about one-third of mainland Australia. So, Jesus. Sahara was about a third, three-tenths desert. Australia is about a third, three-tenths desert. Um or maybe even more, because I don't know, man. Again, just deserts. Deserts. It's crazy. Um, so just for some dumb context here, yeah. the state of Texas has a square mile, or total square mile, sorry, let me do this again, a total area of 268,000 square miles. Yeah, so like four times. Four times yeah. the size of Texas. Four Texas. Four Texases is in this one. Oh my god! And that's the fourth biggest one on the list, Josh. Right. Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> my head. Yeah, the the Sahara is about ten times that size. Actually, more than that's like what was that? Like twelve, fifteen times that size. Uh, Jesus. Yeah. And I mean, Antarctica is a continent, so that doesn't yeah, count. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't still, count. But still, like, yeah, just crazy, crazy amounts there. Um, what's also noticeable, what's also notable about the great Australian desert, um, and Mario, feel free to jump in with your geology knowledge is this has some of the oldest, that is to say the most stable geological features on the planet. Um, in, in, in mountains, I talked about Ayers rock, AKA Uluru, which is, yeah, just like this crazy old rock. That just because the continent is so unchanging, uh, and it's it's not subjected to the usual um, rock, rock cycle, what's it called? Yeah, rock cycle. Yeah, that yeah we get yeah that, that yeah we, we get parts of Australia that are just about as old as the planet Earth itself. Um, there are these three crantons, which I had to look up, and those are just kind of. Yeah, just like, I guess sort of like mini tectonic plates or like just like areas on a tectonic plate, Mark? Yeah, they're like mini and they kind of do their own thing. Yeah, they're like kind of mini, they're, they kind of do, do their own things. Um, these three in particular found in the great Australian desert, uh, the Yilgarn, the Pilbara, and the Gaylor, they date back 3.8 billion with a B, 3.8 billion years. And the Earth is 4.5 billion years. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I've actually got some um, Hadean rock from Australia. No and it's, way. It's, I think it's 
seven billion years old or something. Yeah, I, yeah. That's so flipping cool, man. That's so stinking. I had a cool. friend that went down and she brought me back a big chunk and she's like, "This is like the oldest rock on earth," and now it's sitting on my bookshelf. That's so freaking cool, man. Yeah, and so yeah. and so here we are, kind of going back to this thesis. And yes, there are other kind of factors at play here. It's not just that this is in a desert, but this idea of like deserts, like preserving and like keeping things so that we can come back and study them later. Mm-hmm. Thesis point number two. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so the <laughs> great Australian desert, because it is this large region, um, it, it still does fit this criteria and receives uh, less than 10 inches of precipitation each year. Um which is, yeah, like right at that threshold, right? Like it, it receives that amount, but also it does have super high rates of evaporation and transpiration. I think I was calling it transportation before, but I meant to say transpiration, which is when water, when, when water gets moved uh, by, by plants. So right, yes, right, e- right. even if it is right at the cusp there, that it loses so much moisture uh, also helps it kind of create this, create and keep this desert environment. Um, again, temperatures range from range from about 32 to 40 degrees Celsius or 90 to 104 degrees Fahrenheit in the summer uh, and about 18 to 23 Celsius or 64 to 73 degrees Fahrenheit in the winter. So again, this is a subtropical uh, hot desert. Uh, of course, uh, there are many aboriginal indigenous tribes uh peoples who inhabit this area uh and they have been there for 50,000 years jesus christ yeah that's <laughs> again man like i know they say everything's bigger in texas and everything's bigger and upside down in australia but it's also bigger and upside down and super old <laughs> super old in australia (laughs) that's crazy yes yeah it is um uh and yes of of course you know uh australia also known for its unique um wildlife there yes your kangaroos your wombats your wallabies your echidnas those are not necessarily desert animals but there is one uh that is unique to the great australian desert Australia has the largest population of feral camels in the world. Oh, shit. Yeah. When you think of camel, you don't think of Australia, but maybe you should. Maybe you should start thinking about feral camels in Australia. In addition to things like, yeah, kangaroos and giant spiders and snakes and crocodiles. Throw some feral camels in there too, why don't you? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, man. It's uh, so again. Makes sense though, yeah. Yeah, but also it also makes sense. And and yes, and the and the humble camel. Um, the like like purpose well, okay, I can't say purpose built because then the intelligent design weirdos will get a hard on. <laughs> but the perfect adapted, the perfectly adapted um animal to the desert environment you know uh Mm -hmm. has has broad uh splaying feet that act like sand shoes i guess to kind of help it keep from sinking into the sand um uh has light colored fur to help reflect some of that sunlight so it doesn't overheat uh has Mm -hmm. its hump that 
doesn't necessarily store water, but yes, stores moisture and like fat. There's a lot of fat reserves in there. So that's its little, you know, picnic basket as it's trekking across the desert sands there. Um, and the camel's blood cells aren't shaped like our blood cells, Mark. These, theirs are more like kind of oval, more like ovoid. Um, oh, really? Because when a camel does happen upon a water source, this dude just like drains it. Um, if you go on YouTube or Instagram or whatever and see videos like there are camels like draining those big giant, um, you know, like water cistern kind of kind of things, just draining them dry. Mm-hmm. And why their blood cells are oval is you get that much water into your body um, uh, too quickly. The 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 electrolytes, the the salt that are in your bloodstream, you know, could they could get diluted and like your and, and like explode your blood cells if, if that happens too quickly mm-hmm. just like the like pressure the the density the the osmosis that happens there however uh, their blood cells being more oval shaped that means that they can expand a little more before they like as it, as they're getting this fresh water uh so their blood cells can expand and not just uh cause them to die from hydrolysis <laughs> <laughs> I, so, yeah. Well, I mean yeah that'd be kind of That'd be horrible. Waste, right? It'd be a horrible way to die. <laughs> uh, so yeah, camels. That's that's my little quick shout out to these feral camels of Australia. Good day. Uh, <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Okay, but but maybe the next. That's super cool. Yeah, it's it's super super cool. And moving on to the fifth largest desert. This is probably more what people uh, imagine when they hear camels. But this is number five, the Arabian Desert, uh, here in the Middle East, at about two point three. A million square kilometers or 899 square miles. You know, some there, there, there seems to be some, I don't know if it's a contention. I don't know how heated it gets. You know, I've seen some people include the Arabian desert with the Sahara saying it's just like an extension of the Sahara. Maybe it's own separate thing outright. You can decide on your own. They're connected though, right? I mean, kind of, they're kind of connected. But what caused the desertification of the Sahara didn't necessarily cause for the Arabian Desert. It's, again, it's... Right. It can get a little kind of tricky there. And then there's another one um, later on that also kind of fits that bill. Um, And it's, again, right around that... um, uh, This this gets about uh, four inches of precipitation each year. Uh, but also there are some areas that are virtually never see rain of any kind. Uh, And also because this is a subtropical one where, again, right about that 40 degrees Celsius or 104 degrees Fahrenheit in the summer, um, in some of the lowlands, the temperature can climb up to 48 Celsius or 118 Fahrenheit, which is, yeah, stupid hot. Um. At the center of the Arabian Desert is the Rub al-Khali, uh, also known as the Empty Quarter. And it's, yeah, just this vast region of nothing but sand. Uh, there's just, which like, I, I know you may be thinking like, well, duh, Josh, it's a desert. But like, no, there's like, there's, there's still cities. I've, I've been talking about, you know, civilization still along this area. But here's just this entire area 
where yeah, there's just nothing, nothing at all. Yeah, there's nothing at all. Yeah. Uh, which Gross. is yeah, which is bonkers, bonkers. Um, also, kind of fun uh, for the Arabian Desert. Um, I I was gonna do a whole kind of like section on this, but maybe I want to hang on to these for a future Two Wizards episode, um, talking about like like lost cities or hidden cities or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but most famous in the in the Arabian Desert is the lost city of Iram or Irum or Irem or Irum or Yubar or the city of the pillars, uh, which is talked about in the Ebla tablets that date back to uh, 2500 to 22500 uh, BCE. Uh, and this lost city of Iram or Irem uh, is mentioned in the Quran. Uh, oh, shit. It also gets a shout out in um, the H.P. Lovecraft short story. Um, oh shit! What is it? I just lost it. The Forbidden City is that one? What's the, oh god? What's the Lovecraft one? Where where yeah, like the guy's looking for. He's like, ah, I finally tracked the down the Nameless City. The Nameless City. There we go. The yeah, Nameless that's, City. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. God, take away my Lovecraft fanboy card because I'm <laughs> spaced out on the Nameless City. Um, which is yeah one of the first ones I read, but uh, but yeah yeah there, there's also a quick shout out uh, to I think it's Irem I R E M that the nameless uh, protagonist narrator mentions as he's looking for the for the nameless city, um, but uh, yeah so there you go man. Huh. Yeah 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 so so yeah and I think I do I like I, I, I when I was starting my note taking I had a section for like buried cities or lost cities but I. But then I quickly realized, like, nah, man, that deserves its own uh, episode outright. Uh, so uh, Yeah, I'm really down to talk about I mean, because I was trying to do that Pyramids one a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I kept coming across, like, well, the pyramids are stupid. But, like, there's all these, like, you know, hidden burial sites we know are there. We just don't know where they are because the desert swallowed them. Right, exactly. And, and then that gets in the whole, like, Valley of the Kings thing. And um, so, so, yeah, I, again, I, I think there's something more there. I think we can tease out something more. Stay tuned, listeners. Yeah, stay stay tuned. Stay tuned. Uh, okay, well, so yeah, that was the fifth largest uh, desert. Uh, coming in number six, Mark, this is one of your go-tos. Uh, we're in Asia now, so what is the sixth largest desert? That would be the Gobi Desert. That would be the Gobi Desert at 1.29 square kilometers, or just about a half a million uh, square miles. Mark, the Gobi Desert... We get its name from the Mongolian word Gobi, which means desert. <laughs> Dry. Oh. <laughs> desert, it, desert. How'd you do it, guys? It's the desert, desert, just like Mount Fujiyama. Mount Fujiyama Mountain. <laughs> ATM. ATM machine. <laughs> um, and so, maybe this is our first actual true quote-unquote cold desert i mean if, if we're counting the antarctic and the arctic deserts if we're counting those as polar deserts yes they are cold this is our first this is our first cold desert that isn't at the north pole or the south pole uh, <laughs> but um uh yes this is in northern china southern mongolia uh it has an average uh temperature in july of minus 2.5 Celsius, which is 27.5 Fahrenheit. Um, 
Oh, no, wait, sorry. No, that, that that's just the average. Just the average temperature on any given day is minus 2.5 Celsius, 27.5 Fahrenheit, below freezing. Whew. On January, here we go. January, the average is um, minus 26.5 Celsius or minus 15.7 Fahrenheit. Uh, and the, Jesus. And the July average temperature is plus 17.5 Celsius or 63.5 Fahrenheit. So it is bitterly cold. <laughs> Stupid cold. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of Alamosa in the old days, though. I'm not going to lie. Kind of, yeah. Kind of reminds, you know, kind of reminds me of Alamosa, too. Uh, <laughs> Dry as shit. The elevation's out of control, too, right? Isn't Should it really high? It's, it's, it's up. It's, uh, actually, that's a good question. Hold on. Let me open the old... Uh, I mean, not to throw you on the spot, I'm no, sorry. No, 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 no. Let's see here. Gobi Desert Elevation. This says what? What does it say? Do, 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 do. Um, okay, it's located roughly, uh, yeah, between three to 5,000 feet above sea level. So, like... Oh, okay. I, I was off. Okay. I mean, it's no it's no sea level. Like, it's still decently up there. That's, that's still a whole lot... Yeah higher elevation than i am currently uh but uh okay fair. but uh, yeah, i'm sure that also contributes as well uh like i mentioned too right like some of the vast temperature swings because water tends to kind of moderate uh all that stuff um the gobi desert can see temperature can see daily temperature swings of up to 35 degrees celsius or uh 63 degrees fahrenheit so yeah uh I, on a July day, you'll have a high of 63 degrees Fahrenheit and then a low of zero degrees <laughs> Fahrenheit. I know you're trying to sell this as like a miserable place, but Josh, sign me up, sign buddy. Up, oh, my man. God. Let's yeah. do this. Get you a... <laughs> the hottest it ever gets is 60 degrees. Oh, no. Oh, no. Twist my arm. Uh... <laughs> Go uh, ingratiate my, well, myself in a culture that prides wrestling. Oh no! And well, okay. So super cold culture that prides r- wrestling. Mark, I know you're going to hate this too. The Gobi is renowned for its fossil finds. There are so many fossils in the Gobi Desert, like Velociraptor Mongoliensis. Exactly, exactly. And these are particularly in the uh, Nemegt Basin, aka the Valley of the Dragons. Which is so fucking cool. <laughs> oh, fuck you. Yes. Uh, yes. And the Flaming Cliffs, uh, a.k.a. the uh, Bayanzag. Uh, so, yeah, Mark, I guess we just got to go to the Gobi Desert. We'll find... Let's go already. We'll, we'll find an abandoned missile silo. <laughs> in the Gobi Desert. teach me Mongolian. <laughs> yeah. You and I can pick up throat singing, you know, just like that. It'll be fine. Uh Hell yeah. Lest you may think like, well, no, that seems just too harsh. No, bullshit. Again, loads of evidence of human habitation uh, going through the Bronze Age, through the Neolithic, even even into the Mesolithic. So again, like roughly 8,000, oh, wow. roughly like 8,000 uh, uh, BC, BCE. Um, there, we, we have recovered blades of various kinds, knives of various kinds, pottery, milling stones, uh, copper slag. These dudes were like copper casting, like f- forging with copper, and uh, deer stone megaliths. So like sort of mini Stonehenges. Um, yeah. Here in the Gobi Desert. Super stinking cool. 
Uh, yeah, Gobi Desert, it may be the sixth largest. Yeah, yeah, it, it may only be the sixth largest, but I think it's the top, I think it's the number one underrated desert. Um. <laughs> number one in my heart. Number one in my heart, exactly. <laughs> Uh, well, so moving on next to number seven here. Hold on. Got to get my notes. Okay. Um, yeah, moving on to number seven. Uh, we are returning to Africa and the Kalahari Desert. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. the Kalahari is about 900,000 square kilometers or 347,000 uh, square miles. Uh, the Kalahari, we believe, gets its name from a Tswana word, uh, Kagala, uh, which means the great thirst. Drink. You're here. I like I like that a lot. That's a better way than saying big dry thing. Yes, yeah. That's... Yeah. That's sweet. Um, and or it could be from another word, uh, the uh, Kagala Gadi, which means a waterless place. Or okay. desert, I okay. guess. You just call it a desert there. Uh, so uh, this is in the southern half of Africa, though. So Sahara to the north, Kalahari to the south, and like kind of west. Um, but also much like the Sahara, uh, up until fairly recently, this was a much wetter and cooler climate um, up until about 9000 BC. Um, okay. Uh, average rainfall... Uh, Again, depending on the areas, on where specifically you're looking, because this is also like dead in the tropics, you know, the jungles, the heart of Africa. Um, there are some places that, again, get about four inches of rain uh, per year. And then there are some that get up to like, yeah, like a foot or so, um, which still like compared to the average, because the average was like 39 inches about a meter it's still semi-arid it's still semi-arid um and Mm -hmm. also in that subtropical temperature range of yeah between 18 and 40 degrees celsius upwards of like 100 degrees fahrenheit you know that that, that kind of stuff um and i i know this may often kind of seem counterintuitive or maybe uh, uh oxymoronic uh, because the Kalahari has substantial underground water resources. Um, there's huge aquifers. There's enormous underground lakes. Like Dragon's Breath Cave is the largest non-subglacial underground lake. Try saying that five times fast. <laughs> um, it's about five acres in area and depths of up to 673 feet. So here's an enormous subterranean underground yeah lake um that has like one little yeah like a little cave system that this very humid air comes out of but it still doesn't get much rain so it's a desert um right (laughs) uh going into again lots of human habitation here um specifically the sand people no, not the sand people. There's no D. The sand people. <laughs> um, so the sand people uh, have lived in the Kalahari, again, for like 20,000 years. 
Um, Jesus. So long, long time. Again, great, great hunters uh, that they're able to survive there. Um, as well as some other peoples like the Taswana, where the word uh, Kagala comes from. Uh, the There's another group of people called the uh, Kagalagadi, uh, the Herero, uh, and the capital city of Namibia, uh, Winduk, uh, is right there in the Kalahari Desert. So, and, and I just looked, oh, they shit. have... I think I think Windhoek's population it's it's easily in like hundreds of thousands. I think it's like four hundred thousand, something like that. So a big ass metropolitan area, uh, right there wow. in, in in the desert. So um, so yeah, pretty sweet. It's also a track on uh, Mario Kart sixty four, <laughs> where it's more like an American West setting as opposed to a, a <laughs> Southern Africa setting. But you know, I remember, yeah. I remember. Man, I would spend hours just like like in time trial mode, but yeah, just like racing my cart along the train track loop. And I was amazed that like it was a full loop cuz they could have totally just like saved some uh cartridge memory and like, you know, have it, had it extend a little bit and then, you know, just hit a wall. But no, they put in like the full train track there. That's awesome. Yeah, it's super cool. Moving on, we are we are sadly coming to the end here. Um, this is number eight, the eighth largest desert, uh, is the Patagonian in South America. And we're looking for something rather special. Uh, <laughs> the Patagonian desert is about 637,000 square kilometers or 260 square miles. Uh, this is the largest desert in South America. Uh, this is located uh, in Argentina, so the southeastern part of the continent. Uh, it has the Atlantic Ocean to the east and the Andes Mountains to the west. Uh, and uh, again, because I'm an etymology nerd and I have to look this up, why we... So yes, there's a Patagonian desert, but that entire region is called the Patagonia. Um, and why it was that was apparently uh, 16th century Spaniards called the native... Uh, Tehuelche people, uh, Patagon, which means large foot. <laughs> I like that. Okay, that's cool. Because they had the uh, Tehuelche people had these kind of llama skinned shoes to help them get around that made them look like they had large feet. So it's literally large foot land. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yep. Um, they're in. <laughs> Patagonian desert uh, annual precipitation of um, again you know like uh, uh, 200 to 300 millimeters or again roughly you know five to eight inches um, so under that threshold uh, much like what we saw with the Gobi uh, huge temperature ranges um, that will swing from uh, summer highs of about 31 degrees Celsius that's like uh, what is that? It's like it's like eighty three degrees Fahrenheit uh, to record winter lows of minus thirty four Celsius, which is the the funny thing about Celsius and Fahrenheit is, and so yeah, that's like minus um, what is that? It's like minus thirty degrees Fahrenheit. So again, just like mm-hmm. crazy temperature um, swings depending on where you are. Um. Much like the Great Australian Desert, um, the Patagonian Desert also has a pretty long history. Not nearly that far. We're still in millions of years. 
Um, but this dates all the way back to the middle Miocene, which is uh, about 14 to 12 million years ago. And the Patagonian Desert is part of the air uh, is part of the arid diagonal that kind of runs north to south across Peru, Bolivia, Chile, and Argentina, which also includes the Atacama Desert. So it's like kind of in the same sort of deserty region, but it's not a part of the Atacama. Or should I say the Atacama isn't part of it? Um, and yes, here is like again like a perfect, very dramatic example of this rain shadow. Because you have the Pacific um, to its uh, west, all this warm and uh, 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 humid air coming in crashes against the Andes Mountains, rains all on that side, and then there's nothing left um, in the Patagonian Desert there. So, uh, and uh, and yes, and so I already mentioned these lovely people, the uh, Tehuelche. Or the Aonikenk. Try my best here. My apologies. Um, yeah, th they have lived in the region as far back as, yeah, like the, the 16th century, 1500s. Um, and there are some uh, cave paintings that, that kind of tell us that. Um, okay. The term uh, Tehuelche uh, comes from the Mapuche phrase uh, Chewelche, which means brave people or rugged people which is also pretty badass. It's like, oh, what do you call this group that lives in this uh, inhospitable climate, but they still tough it out? We're the brave people. We're the rugged people. That's pretty sweet. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> that is pretty sweet. And, um, also, Patagonian Desert is a great place to find more fossils, too. Yeah, true. true. Are, are, are there any species that immediately come to mind that like, like, like it's most known for or like have... Uh, had like some notable discoveries there. I know they found a couple mega raptors, like so raptors bigger than raptors raptors. Mm -hmm. Um, I know they found some there, and I want to say they found Titanosaurus, the giant oh, uh, brachiosaur. Yeah. I think I, I remember think that from our it's, dinosaurs. It's episode. either there or in Argentina, but like Argentina butts into it, so well, the, well, yeah, you kind of get like mm -hmm. what what is a boundary versus a exactly. whatever, but like right, right yeah. Right. Um, also. Yeah, so like, yeah, I, we talked about our dinosaurs. Um, um, uh, Giganotosaurus was also out of there. That's right. That's right. Which, yeah. is, and and again, man, like, say what you will about deserts, uh, hard hard to live in, but they do a damn fine job of preserving fossils, of preserving evidence of human ac activity. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. Well, and I got. Well, no, I'll 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 save that to where I actually have it in my notes. I won't get too horned up for me. Okay. Uh, okay, uh, uh, coming into the home stretch here, number nine, the Syrian desert. Uh, they're in the Middle East, which is about a half a million square kilometers or 193,000 uh, square miles. You might, just as the case with the Arabian desert, could the Syrian desert, which is the area of, of Syria, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and Iraq, could you just include that with the Arabian Desert? Could you also just include it with the Sahara? Yeah, I guess it it's important enough to be its own thing, I guess. Um, but, uh, so, and again, you know, very similar temperatures and precipitation um, to those other ones, so I won't repeat myself. Um, famously, in the Syrian Desert uh, was the ancient city of Palmyra, 
uh, which dates all the way back to the second millennium uh, BCE, so like 1000s BCE, uh, when it was known as the city of Tadmor or Tadmar. Uh, was a, this was an important trade city uh, for the Roman Empire. Uh, and uh, for a very short while, due to the um, efforts of Queen Zenobia and her rebellion, uh, became the capital of the very short-lived Palmyrene Empire from 270 AD or 270 CE to 273 <laughs> CE. Because funny thing about trying to uh, break away from the Roman Empire, they don't like that. <laughs> it's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. Okay, sure, you got like the whole Levant to join your kingdom. But then it's the Roman Empire, and they're not too fond of that. <laughs> um, the Syrian desert is not only home to Palmyra, not only home to Queen Zenobia, also not only home to the fearsome Bedouin tribes. Um, the Syrian desert is the only place where you will also find the golden hamster. <laughs> well, I'll be damned. <laughs> so now I just have... And, and what is a golden hamster, Josh? Just a golden hamster? Yeah, it's a hamster that has a kind of golden fur coat. <laughs> it looks adorable. I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> it's adorable. So now I just have pictured, right, like racing over the hills with their carbine rifles and uh, scimitars. It's a group of Bedouin um, golden hamsters <laughs> galloping around. And they crest over it, and it goes, da, da, da. <laughs> dramatic, dramatic hamster music. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, it's good to laugh. It's good to laugh talking about deserts. Uh, yeah, it is. Okay, and finally, number 10. Mark, you may have noticed that talking about all these different uh, lo lo locations... There has been a continent that has curiously been absent so far. I, I haven't mentioned any mm -hmm. deserts on this continent. Do you do you have any guesses about what this last one might be? This this last desert, at least the the top ten largest deserts according to what was it like geologist.com or something? Have any guesses where, where uh, this might be? Is it on the North American continent, there, Josh? It, it is finally on the North American continent. Yes. Does. Does patrolling it make me wish for a nuclear winter, Josh? Kind of. Kind of, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> Is it infested with giant murder wasps, Josh? <laughs> the cazadores, the cazadores. Um, Have I been playing New Vegas again? The answer is yes, and I'm going to guess it's the Mojave Desert, Josh. So it is, and kind of like with the great Australian desert, there's, there, there's sort of a collection, you know, we, we could call... We can differentiate these just by kind of region. There's also, these are also apparently different uh, different deserts based on their biodiversity. There's, there's literally different species that we find here. But included in the Great Basin Desert, which is number 10. Uh, uh, there you go. At 490 square kilometers. There's No, excuse me. 490,000 square kilometers. It wasn't that big of a jump. Um, or 190 square miles. Um, so yes, this, this is in that region. 
It's uh, Utah, Nevada, parts of California, parts of Arizona. We can throw the Mojave in there for fun. Um, and yes, this is... Because it's, yeah, it's like all of them, right? right Not, yeah, yeah it, Great it, Basin, it, yeah. It, it's all of them together. They're all one desert, but just for whatever reason, it's like, oh, well, no, like this type of lizard is only found in the Great Basin Desert and... Uh, here's giant fire-breathing ants. They're in the Mojave. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's basically um, west of Salt Lake City, east of Reno. All of that area uh, is the Great Basin Desert. Uh, and again, a yearly precipitation of about nine inches uh, in the western parts, you know, kind of closer to California. Um, and, uh, then about, uh, 12 inches. So maybe even over strictly speaking, um, the sort of like limit of what we consider a desert, um, in the East, like kind of closer to the Rocky mountains. Um, and again, huge temperature swings, you know, going from, um, uh, four to 32 degrees Celsius or about 40 to 90 degrees Fahrenheit in a single day. Um, and yeah, that is the desert that is probably closest to us, most familiar to us, um, all of that. So, so, and of course, yeah, New Vegas. I was, I, I was sad that the Mojave didn't get a little more shout out there, but, but it is, it's worth, it's worth its own. It's worth its own. Yeah. Thing. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, that, that was a sort of brief, well, not brief that, this is a whole goddamn episode, Josh. But um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, talking about deserts, talking about deserts. Well, and yeah. and like I I, I kind of hinted at this too. Um, yes, there are deserts on Earth, but then there are also these entire desert planets. Yes, like Arrakis. Yes, like Tatooine. Um, but even closer in our in our own solar system, we have our own desert planet here, and I mentioned it before, and that's Mars. Uh, Mars yeah. would totally count as a cold type desert um, because it's well below uh, average temperature of 64 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, and contrary to what you may think, yes, it actually does see precipitation. Um, there is there is water ice that snows down specifically at the poles, but also carbon dioxide snows, dry ice snows. Um, uh, and we see this. In 2008, the NASA Phoenix Mars lander detected snow falling. We got pictures of snow falling from clouds, from Martian clouds, uh, about two and a half miles above ground. Um, oh my God, Martian snow day. Yeah, M- Martian snow day. However, uh, because it's so cold and there's barely any atmosphere, uh, this snow sublimated, that is to say it evaporated before it hit the ground. But we saw it. We saw it snowing. Um, and when you So not a Martian snow day. <laughs> so I guess not a Martian snow day. No, Timmy, you can't. Back in my day, I had to climb Olympus Mons both ways because it was just <laughs> that big of a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't get to sled. We didn't even get to sled down on this month. Um, <laughs> um, and, but even though that didn't quite happen, if you look at the poles, if, if you look at the Martian poles, you very clearly see carbon dioxide, ice, 
falling and settling and then evaporating uh, because we see the we, 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 we see it cover up the more darkly colored soil sand there. So yes, we have our own desert planet here in the solar system. Um, whether or not we can extract the spice melange, um, whether or not there's an entire race of warrior people called the Fremen, the Fremartians, I guess. Uh, I guess that just remains to be seen if Elon Musk actually has his has his wishes granted and sends people to to Mars. Um, but we'll find out. We'll find out soon enough. Um, and then he'll rename the planet X. Yes, exactly. Planet X. Oh God. Planet uh, X. Planet. Oh shit! What have we called down, Josh? I know. I know. Again, man. Like. I just hope we call down lotto numbers first so that we can build a spacecraft before he does. And we can get there ourselves. Um, <laughs> Two wizards on Mars. Two wizards on Mars. Fucked nerds. We're building a <laughs> missile silo. <laughs> uh, but also, Mark, maybe we won't have to travel to see a desert planet because, would you believe it, Earth, our home planet, is also predicted to become... A desert planet itself. Uh, I think it's inevitable. Uh, the sun's the the the, the sun uh, is slowly but surely increasing in luminosity. It's putting out more and more solar radiation, more and more thermal energy, and so it's going to cook our planet and turn it into a desert in about a billion years. <laughs> All right. So, which okay? Are you ready okay. though? I'm ready. Which is only a quarter of the time as the rocks that we find in the great Australian desert. That rock that you have sitting in the think hole. It'll be like, mm -hmm. yeah, what's another billion years? I've already been here for 3.8. Yeah. That's fucking That's crazy. True. That's fucking crazy, dude. God damn, yeah. So, um, so, huh. so yes. How it? So, again... Deserts are in our past. Deserts are certainly going to be in our future. Um, yep. And yep, yep. and how I would like to end is we we brought this up at the very beginning, and I'd like to pay a little a uh, little more love, show show some more love uh, to the desert that is nearest and dearest to me, uh, close to my heart, and it is this large alpine valley desert that is the San Luis Valley there in southern Colorado. Um, highest in the world, right? I, I think it has to be. I know for sure we're the highest alpine valley. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, stands to reason we're the highest desert in the world. I mean, we have to be, right? Um, but uh, yeah. but yes, and so this area uh, is, as, as, as we've talked about in our mountains episode, it has the Sangre de Cristos on the eastern part. Um, has the San Juans in the um, western part of, of the valley. Yeah, it gets like r rain shadow times 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 two. Um, uh, we're way far inland. Yes, we have the Rio Grande River. Yes, we have some large aquifers, uh, but we get next to no precipitation there. Um, can confirm. Yeah, can 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 confirm. Uh, at, and we are well under the uh, 10 inches of precipitation or fewer. Um, 
and one of the most evocative features it's a it's a it's a very descriptive feature um but it's not exclusive to deserts it's not a defining feature of deserts but we also have the great sand dunes we have the great sand dunes national park and preserve um which is mm-hmm. which is the tallest sand dunes in north america they can reach heights of 750 feet above the valley floor um which are not the tallest sand dunes in the world i i, I was going off on a on a tangent with like sand dunes just how stupid big some sand dunes can get um but the great sand dunes uh cover 30 square miles and contain um 1.2 cubic miles of sand (laughs) god yeah uh so much sand yes so much stupid sand and in the springtime listeners you've, you've heard us talk about this before in the springtime that's when the that's what the mountains still have a lot of snow and they're really cold and all that cold air comes just rushing down and just obliterates the valley and blows up all the sand and has been blowing up all the sand uh, over tens of thousands of years. Um, so uh, some of the Native American dro- tribes that have inhabited the Sandless Valley, I mean, they noticed these dunes. They, they noticed this this feature here. Um uh, the uh, um, some of the Ute tribes that lived in the area or frequented the area uh, called them uh, Sawap Manache, which means sand that moves, which is pretty sweet. Uh, the okay. like the Hikaria Apache uh, called the Great Sand Dunes Se Anyedi, which means it goes up and down, which is pretty sweet, also. <laughs> okay. Um, Don Diego de Vargas was the first European to enter the Sandless Valley. He was a conquistador. Uh, and he didn't directly write about the Great Sand Dunes in his journals. Uh, he, 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 he didn't comment on them directly, but he must have seen them. He must have noticed them. I mean, one, the valley is very flat. And yeah, they're pretty conspicuous. It's kind of hard to miss them. Uh, but the first non-native uh, account of these goes back to one Zebulon Pike, who oh yes, who was crossing the Sangre de Cristos, uh, just no, j- j- just north, just above the Great Sand Dunes. Um, he was either trying to find or he was trying to track the Arkansas River, which is up by Salida. Must have got turned around a little bit, um, crossed over the Sangre de, de Cristos. And wrote this in his journal, uh, January 28th, 1807. After marching some miles, we discovered the foot of the White Mountains, today the Sangre de Cristos, which were then descending sandy hills. When we encamped, I ascended one of the largest hills of sand, and with my glass discovered a large river, the Rio Grande. The sand hills extended up and down the foot of the White Mountains about 15 miles, and appeared to be 5 miles in width. Their appearance is exactly that of the sea in a storm, except as to color. Not the least sign of vegetation exists thereon. Isn't that awesome, dude? Like, so crazy. Because I, I think back uh, to myself in grade school and like the yearly field trip. It was either to Splashland Swimming Pool or, mm-hmm. or it was to the Great Sand Dunes. <laughs> like... Yeah, it was <laughs> Splashland Swimming Pool, Great Sand Dunes. So 
And I remember, like, one of the teachers would always, like, kind of get a little herd of students together. And was like, all right, kids, we're going on an expedition. We're going to climb Star Dune. That's the tallest one. Um, mm-hmm. So er- everybody follow me. And, yeah, I remember being in fifth grade, like, trekking up there. And, again, because the valley floor is super flat, you can, see, you can see the entire valley from the top of Star Dune. And the fact that, yeah. and the fact that he spotted the Rio Grande... Uh, that he talks about the dunes looking just like uh, 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 stormy seas, which listeners hop onto Google Maps, look up Great Sand Dunes National Park, go to the satellite view, because people take take photos up there, and you can plop the little you know like Google Man, uh, so you see so you can see like, and, and you'll get to experience some of that at least. You can see some of that, or even better, go visit Alamosa, Colorado, and. Uh, go to SLV Brewing Company and yell out, Mark, Mark from Two Wizards Podcast. And then you'll summon him and then you can have a drink together. <laughs> so, yeah, that was me. That was fundamental to me growing up. Um, uh, and yeah, okay, okay, so that was from 1807. Um, sometime later, um, there was another account of the Great Sand Dunes from one Captain John Gunnison, uh, who was sent out that way as a part of the. Uh, uh, United States Topographical Survey and in 1853 he wrote this down Uh, Mark, once again Turning the southern basin of the sand hills over the lowest of which we rode for a short distance our horses half bearing their hooves only on the windward slopes but sinking up to their knees on the opposites we for some distance followed the bed of the stream from the pass now sunk in the sand and then sunk off across the sandy plain the sand was so heavy that we were six hours and a half making 10 miles jesus what a day yeah right can you imagine like trying to cross that on horse um and i'm pretty sure it's i i i couldn't completely verify this but he talks about this little um um little stream i'm pretty sure that's madano creek which flows right in in front of it's gotta be um, so yeah, man, like, okay, sure. It's no, you know, uh, Neolithic civilizations that have lived in the Valley for tens of thousands of years. I, I haven't encountered any, uh, petroglyphs when I was in fifth grade going to the sand dunes. I dug like crazy. You better believe I was digging like crazy to try and find something there. Um, but it is, yeah, man, it's, 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 like what you were saying, um, it's not often like we don't really give much thought at all to, yeah, like deserts and stuff. And and yet, like, yeah, to have that right, right. there in our backyard, to get to experience that. And, and I know I talked about this with, with, with mountains as well. Um, but yeah, it's just super cool. And yeah, I can't help but think, I can't help but think that like growing up in that area that was just so dry... Um, and now where I am here in the Midwest, where it's disgusting how much moisture we get. Like, we just had a rainstorm today, and I'm sick of it. I'm sick of all this rain. <laughs> well, send it back this way, damn it. I'm dry as I hell. I know, right? And I wish I could. I wish I could defeat this rain shadow, but damn you, physics. Um, <laughs> I'm going to nuke a mountain, Josh. I, I think that's what it's going to have to come to. It's got to be something like that. But... Um, but yeah, but and, and so I think that is right. I think that is, like, um, th- yeah the the thesis that I was driving at, 
through this episode is, is as hard as it is, as difficult as it is to live in a desert, um, the things that make that so difficult for life actually do a great deal to help preserve the past. Um, talked about mummies, talked about fossils quite a bit, talked about all these things. And even um, in our um, uh, Academic Fraudsters episode, when I was talking about how we have papyrus, like how we have any papyri at all, or most papyri at all, mm. is because they've been kept uh, in the dry, arid climates of the desert. Because if you get them anywhere wet, they just disintegrate. Um, mm-hmm. And so so that's the other thing, too, is... is uh, Yes, yeah, so much of what I am studying, what I'm doing this whole grad school thing about, it can be traced back and like is is due to some part about the preservation that the desert uh, affords for lost cultures, lost uh, literature, lost artifacts. Um, but just bring some extra water when you're going there. You know, <laughs> if you're going to go to the desert, just 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 bring some extra water. <laughs> I remember for our honeymoon, uh, the Mrs. Wizard and, and I, we went to California and we did Disneyland and we did Legoland. Um, but because I grew up there in the Coachella Valley, um, like I mentioned, just south of Joshua Tree National Park, we, we did. We we're like, hey, let's go like drive around there and we'll, we'll go up to Joshua Tree. And, and yeah, like the like um, the like ranger service there. They like stopped us before we got into the park and they like made us confirm like, do you have water? Do you have extra water in your vehicle? And so we had to show our water bottles like, yes, because if we got broke down, you know, in right. July, <laughs> going, going to Joshua Tree National Park, um, there's like, you were going to die. You're going to die. Do you have enough stim packs um, if a group of raiders hops out? <laughs> And and demand your bottle caps. Do you do you have stim packs? <laughs> what is your energy weapons skill level? <laughs> the little side by side shotgun's not going to do much. I know what I'm about. All right, That's well, what I'm about. Good luck. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, that again, that was just that was just one dune. That was that was us just like cresting one dune here on on the two wizards mm-hmm. podcast talking about deserts talking about yeah uh, um uh look upon my works ye mighty and and despair um look upon my camels ye mighty how their blood cells are ovoid and not circular <laughs> okay mark you need to take over cuz i've been drinking these ranch waters to stay hydrated and i think i i think i've i've overcooked it here but um what are some of your th- closing thoughts on this episode on deserts? Um, number one, deserts, how do they work? The answer is, well, they don't, and that's why they work so damn well, and it's amazing. Um, dude, you knocked it out of the park. Ah, Thank you, as thanks, always. Um, really well done. Um, yeah, I like deserts. We should talk more about lost cities swallowed up by sand. We can do, yeah, we, we can do lost cities sw- swallowed by sand. I mean, there was a whole other thing, like like how many like religious experiences happen out in the desert. Um, uh, th- th- there was another one. Yeah, that right. Was... Jesus was in the desert for forty days. Yeah, yeah. Jesus was in the desert for forty days and forty nights. Uh, 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 Moses led led his people through the desert for forty years. 
Um, when you go on a vision quest, you're kicked out into the desert sometimes. That a lot of you know, I, I was talking about how like mountains are, are sacred places, and a lot of times you find mountains next to deserts. Um, so I think there's a lot of that too. Yeah, like the asceticism, the like deprivation of, uh, hey, you're on this mountain where there's no oxygen. Uh, hey, you're in this desert where there's no water. And so you see things, man. <laughs> you see things. We're in the desert when the hallucinations began to t- take place. Exactly. 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 So, yeah. Uh, so, so yes, I, I think we, I, I, I think I, I, I don't anticipate us needing a deserts part two. We did mountains part one and part two. I think this is good for deserts, but I also think this is ironically, this is going to be an oasis for like three other episodes. I think we just generated like three other episodes. Um, coming out of this so so thank you mark for tagging along uh thank you for being the bedouin to my shah or i was the shah to your bedouin i'm not exactly sure how the hierarchy plays out um but it's always fun it's always fun to 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 go on these journeys with you uh and listeners it's always fun to have you come along with us what are your thoughts um have have you been to some of these places have you actually been to egypt and like seen some of the pyramids uh, that'd be super sweet. I'd love to hear about that. Um, I know we have some listeners in Australia. Maybe you've been out um, on walkabout uh, and and checked out some, some some of that stuff. Maybe maybe you found a super cool fossil that we keep talking about. Um, if you're a member of the Mongolian government, can you give Mark and me some visas so we can go live in the Gobi <laughs> Desert? Um, I will learn your language. I'm we will really good at languages. I can, I'll be there guys. We are eager and willing. So get a hold of us, uh, in whatever way is easiest for you. You can send an email to two wizards podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter cause it's still Twitter. Damn it. At two wizards pod C one. We're active on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, you can find me on Twitter at plaid barbarian. Mark, what are some other things that we that the that, that the sand that the winds and the sand might might uncover might blow away and uncover for 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 future for for future generations to enjoy? Oh, buried in that sand, probably the sand of Texas would be the Dangle Podcast, a weekly retrospective rewatch of King of the Hill, where me and our buddy Johnny take two episodes and rate and review and discuss them. Um, <clears throat> or maybe it was something that's been preserved over time, and you're going to show that to your kids. Ooh. Well. What better way to do that than to show them the I Can't Wait to Show My Kids podcast, a weekly cinematic review podcast where all the members of the High Hammock family are present and accounted for True. as we take a movie that was critical to our coming up, make the other one watch it and discuss it, and then we figure out when is appropriate to show it to our kids. Um, this week we just dropped um, The Dark Knight. Oh, yeah. So, okay. Bear that as you will. Yeah, go find us over there, any one of those. Or or maybe you're like, Mark, how could you guess Mojave ten times, you simp? <laughs> well, because I'm playing Fallout New Vegas, that's how, guys. Oh, but so if good. you're that upset about it, please come over to Marky Stardust on Twitter and talk to me about it. I'm always down to be cyberbullied. <laughs> uh, Not really. I'm actually very fragile. Please be nice to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you definitely don't want to get any pocket sand, because that is also in Mark's <laughs> repertoire. <laughs> Damn right. Damn right it is. <laughs> also, very quick, on, on, on that note too, um, pouring one out for Johnny Hardwick again, pouring one out for Paul Rubens. Uh, uh, Mark, always wonderful to to embark with you on, on these quests. 
And I'm looking forward to what's going to be a pretty, a, a pretty sweet trilogy or arc of episodes of our own, if I may, if I may be so bold. Dare, dare, yes, <laughs> bold, bold, yeah. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, it should be great, it should be great. Uh, all right, well, listeners, thank you as always. We love you. Take care, everybody. My name is Josh, and I'm a wizard. And my name is Mark, and I'm a wizard. Thank you for letting us be a part of your day. We love you all, everyone. He rolled upon his back, and after that, I killed the 